Welcome to VLGA Connect. My name is Catherine Arndt and I'm the Chief of the VLGA Connect Studio. I hope you enjoy today's Connect episode brought to you by the VLGA, the national broadcaster on all things local government. Hi everyone and welcome back to VLGA Connect after the Easter break. I hope it was a good one for you. I'm really pleased to have two guests with me today. One, of course, not a guest, uh, the Chief of the Studio of VLGA Connect, Catherine Arndt, is here. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Chris. How are you today? Well, thank you and uh, good to see you. I hope you had a good break. I did. And how about yourself? Absolutely. Uh, was I don't know about restful. It was busy doing a bit of clean-up, actually, which uh, it was long overdue, I've got to say. And some studio upgrades, so I hear. I guess we'll see the result of that after today's episode um, is released. Uh, hopefully you won't see anything different. Uh, without further ado, let's get to our special guest who is with us today from Respect Victoria, a reasonably new organisation. Emily Maguire is the CEO, has been in the role for seven weeks, I believe. And uh, one of your early uh, uh, bucket list items, I'm sure, Emily, is to appear on VLGA Connect. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Chris and Catherine. It's our pleasure, Emily. It's great to have you on the program, even though it is only seven weeks in, but um, we're just looking forward to having a chat and hearing more about the work that you're doing. Sounds great. I will do my best. So tell us perhaps firstly, Emily, about Respect Victoria. As I said, it's fairly new. Uh, what's, the, what's the background there? So Respect Victoria is an independent statutory authority. We were established under legislation in Victoria. We're um, coming up to our fourth birthday, I think. Um, and we're established under the, Fam the Prevention of Family Violence Act in 2018. So um, we're quite unique in that we are not government and not the community sector. So we sort of sit as a bit of a hybrid between the two. We're really focused on the prevention of family violence and all forms of violence against women. And again, that's a bit of a unique piece of our remit because most organisations in Victoria focus on um, a particular form of family violence or look at particular forms of violence against women. We're the only organisation in the state that's got a remit of, of working across both, which has got um, lots of value, but lots of complexity that comes with it. Um, and our work is really in, because it's prevention, is really focused on addressing the underlying structures and norms and practices that, that, that make violence against women happen in the first place. So Emily, just on that, and the fact that you are, I guess, independent of government, so to speak, how does the agency work with some of those other agencies? What's the connection points there? So we've got lot, I mean, we've got lots of connection points with government, uh, particularly at a state territory level through the Department of Families, Fairness and Housing, but also work with organisations who are on the ground, either doing prevention work or who are leading prevention work in their local community. So, um, you know, in the, in the council, local council context, local governments have for a very long time now, you know, well over 10 years, been doing lots of work to prevent violence against women. We work with community service organisations. Um, we work with peak bodies, not just around violence against women, but around other forms of family violence. Um, and we do spend lots of time working with our government partners because one of the things in our organisational remit is about providing advice around policy and advice around um, what governments should be funding in terms of what is evidence-based and good quality practice. So we really try to work across, across the spectrum in terms of government and community service organisations. 
Um, because we are somewhat of a new organisation, I mean, four years is not brand new, but it's not, you know, a 30-year-old organisation, we are still building our relationships and partnerships. So I think we've got really good relationships with those who are already working in the prevention sector. But as we know, prevention has got to reach every single member of the community. And that means working through a whole bunch of different centers, sectings and centres that um, we haven't as yet established relationships with. So that's one of the kind of key future priorities for us as an organisation. Emily, what's your background? What do you uh, bring to this role and uh, where have you come from? So I've had the fortune of having lots of one, two, three-year contracts around um, because prevention of family violence and violence against women is, is a relatively speaking new field. It's only been around for about 15 years. So um, I have had the pleasure of working at organisations like Vic Health, like the Australian Human Rights Commission, within government in the Office for Women's Policy, um, at Our Watch, uh, and a whole bunch of different organisations. Up until about a year and a half ago, I was the C CEO of Domestic Violence Resource Centre Victoria, who have just recently merged with the Victorian Peak Body DV Vic to form Safe and Equal. Um, and uh, I, I was working over the last probably about six months or so with Our Watch. Um, and sort of supporting the development of their new framework, Change the Story. So have worked in sort of prevention policy programming as well as in statewide education policy for about the last um, 15 years. And uh, as a result, have seen prevention of violence against women work go from something that was very small and on the periphery 15 years ago to being really part of the mainstream now, which is incredibly exciting to see. In, indeed it is. And um, Emily, I think probably around the same time that you started a new board came in at Respect Victoria. Have I got that timing correct? Yes, yes. It was a it was a big job for the government at that stage, recruiting um, new a new board as well as um, a new CEO. We have got a number of the old board members stayed um, on, you know, for continuity's sake, and so we've got some some of our fabulous older board members as well as some exceptionally um, exceptionally talented new board members, and we've got a real mix of. Um, skill and diversity, lots of organisations and, uh, sorry, lots of representatives who come from different professional backgrounds, um, from different personal backgrounds, and all of them have come on to Respect Victoria's board with a really strong and deep commitment to preventing violence against women and really wanting to be part of that change. So um, I'm a bit biased, but they're an absolute pleasure to work with, and I think they're, um, they're really, really excited about the potential for the organisation. Yeah, look, they certainly are an impressive um, board when, when you have a look at the website. Um, and so where does that um, take you then in terms of the strategic planning process for the organisation? Are you about to embark on a new planning process? Uh, the pro what are the priorities sort of for the next five years? So you're right, our strategic plan, our first year strategic plan finishes this year. So this is a strategic planning year for us, which is... Um, you know, as a new board and an organisation, it's really exciting to have that opportunity to, to come in and set a really good strategic agenda. And I think we're in a, um, as a, as a sector and as a field, but also in terms of our relationships and our relationship with government, we're in a, um, we're in quite a different place than we were when the organisation was first set up. So um, without wanting to preempt the outcome of any strategic planning process, obviously that's something that's led by the board and that we'll also be working quite closely with the sector on because, um, one of the things that for me is really important about Respect Victoria is that we are working not only in service of the community and wanting to kind of create community-wide change to end violence against women, but we need to be of use to the sector and to the field and the people who are doing this work as well. So that's one of the things that we'll do as part of our strategic planning process is go out and talk to the people who are doing this work. Oh, look, fantastic. I mean, and coincidentally, actually, the VLGA, we're just about to embark on 
um, the consultation phase for our next five-year strategic plan and um, similarly we'll be going out to the stakeholders. But um, uh, in terms of the work that we do that might inter, I guess, inter or connect with the work of Respect Victoria, there are certainly some overlaps that we'd be very happy to, um, you know, be part of that consultation process if you think that would be useful. That sounds absolutely fabulous. It's always really good, I think, when um, strategic planning processes align, you're not when you can come in at the start of the conversation and have a chat about what the vision is. So, I mean, really up for that, Catherine. I, I think for, for us, um, there's a couple of things that I'm really keen on exploring through the strategic planning process. One is about, um, and there's no interesting way to say this, but it's really important, which is the infrastructure for prevention. And I don't mean infrastructure as in physical infrastructure. I mean... Um, the sort of architecture, the, the, the systems, the organisations, the mechanisms that sit around the work. At the moment, what happens in Victoria is that lots of individual organisations or individual councils or um, members of community are doing really good prevention work, but there's no one who's got oversight of it all, no one who knows uh, who's got a true statewide picture of what's happening. Mm -hmm. And as a result, there's lots of duplication. So one of the things I'm really keen on and what Respect Victoria was in part established to do is support better coordination and better connection and information sharing across everyone who's doing the work. So that's one of the things that I'd like us to have a focus on over the next sort of three to five years. Um, another one is about making the case for why prevention, why funding prevention is really, really critical. I think we are at a moment in time, not only in Victoria, but in Australia, where violence against women is on is on the agenda in a way that it never was before. And the ways in which government used to talk about and fund prevention um, are no longer sufficient at a, at a, you know, from, the, from the perspective of the general public. Um, in Victoria, we've got a government that is incredibly supportive of prevention and has sort of put its money where its mouth is, which is exactly what you want to be seeing. But the reality is we need to build a better case around why you should fund prevention, what it saves and how it can build and grow an economy and a safe and a healthy community. So that's another thing. And the last thing I think is really just about that, um, what I was talking about earlier, which is getting into all of the different areas of prevention. So what we know is that prevention is only going to be um, well, prevention is going to be most impactful if it if it reaches every individual across the state where they live, work, learn and play. And so we've got to figure out ways to get more people and more organisations and more institutions and more settings and sectors involved in this work and doing it themselves and making it a part of their core business. So broadly speaking, that's, those are some of the things that we're really keen on, on, on figuring out how to do, I think, as part of our new strategic plan. So, Emily... Um... You talk about the public sector broadly. Where does local government sit in the work that you do and what sort of interaction do you have with our sector? So, I mean, for me, local governments are really, really critical for prevention, um, in part because they have got reach into their local communities. In part, I mean, for lots of people, local government are the, the most important bit of government for them, you know, they vote at state and federal elections, but their local governments are the ones who they have the most connection with, whether that's through, you know, childcare or through libraries or through the, you know, rates, roads, rubbish piece. There are masses of opportunities for councils to get involved in this. And I think in Victoria in particular, local governments have really been doing the work of prevention for much longer than many other organisations. And I think what we have in um, in Victoria through, um, through MAV and through the coordination function that's provided by MAV 
has it is the reason why. I mean, I think I was saying earlier before we started recording, there's 71 of the 79 local councils are involved in the 16 days of activism campaign. I mean, that is that's massive. That is almost 100% of local councils saying, standing up in their local community and saying, we care about any violence against women. That is really huge and really, really important. And I think that is as a result of the work that has been put into making sure over the last 10 years that local councils are really, really playing a key role. Um, I think when it comes to some of the policy work at a council level, Respect Victoria has got a really strong policy lens and a policy focus. And to date, that's mostly really been through state government. We've done little bits and pieces in a federal government lens, but uh, I'm, I'm not sure, and my team will fact check me on this because I'm new, but I'm not sure that we've actually done much in terms of local government policy. So I think that's a really interesting area to explore. I think most of our connections to date have been through um, local councils, connection to community, as opposed to looking at what the, the kind of policy infrastructure local councils can provide. I think there's some opportunities there to do that through that um, the focus you talked about um, in, in sort of bringing together a lot of those agencies to try and reduce the duplication and have a more strategic oversight of the work in this space. Um, and, and I think that you'll find there will be some opportunities there to really um, bring local government into, into that, that conversation. So what other opportunities do you see, Emily, for engaging councils beyond the 16 days of activism project? So, I mean, I think there's a couple of pieces that I thought would be useful for council to hear about. I think um, one of those is that, that Respect Victoria have got a um, prevention of family violence data platform that's run through the Crime Statistics Agency. Um, uh, and, and that's really designed as a, as a sort of a data repository that, it, that tracks trends related to the prevention of family violence, as well as sort of the prevalence of family violence, because we know that that's one indicator that we need to keep an eye on even though we're not likely to see a shift in that area for a very long time. Um, so I think that um, that data platform is a really good source of information advice. It is at a statewide level, so it's not you can't aggregate it by local council at the moment. But again, we're wanting to build and explore um, how to make that data platform even better. So I think being able to do the deep dive into, you know, things at an LGA level are really, really interesting and that's a definite possibility. Um, we have got a, a toolkit that's really designed to help practitioners understand how to use the data that's in the National Community Attitude Survey. For those of your listeners who don't know, NCAS or the National Community Attitude Survey is run um, every three years alternating with the Personal Safety Survey. And it's one of the key sources of data that we've got that tells us how attitudes are going in relation to gender equality and in, in relation to violence against women. Um, and so, but it's really complex and it's quite convoluted and it's hard to understand. So we've built a toolkit that, that practitioners, including those in local government, can help to use the NCAS data um, to inform their work. And we've also got a, uh, we're just about to launch an evaluation website that's really designed to support practitioners to undertake their own internal monitoring and evaluation work. Um, and it can also be useful for those who are sort of commissioning independent evaluators. So it's really um, it, really wanting to start when I'm talking about that infrastructure, some of these pieces are that infrastructure, providing the tools and the resources that are evidence informed that can help individuals, um, that can help individuals do the work that they're doing in their local community. Um, but I think the 16 days of activism um, to date has probably been the most, the closest connection that we've had with council. I really encourage councils to have a look at our, our website, but 
um, it'd be great to have a chat about the 16 days of activism and, and what councils can further do to con continue to support the, um, that particular campaign because it's got a really good grassroots element that lots of, our, lots of campaigns don't often have. Oh, look, it really is a, a very um, successful program. Just remind us when the, the dates of that um, occur again. So the 16 days of activism is from the 25th of November to the 10th of December. So it runs over a period of 16 days, unsurprisingly, given the name. Um, and we deliver the campaign in partnership with Safe and Equal, who um, have developed a really useful toolkit to use. We're also running a community grants program that was similar to what happened last year to really encourage the sort of on-the-ground connection uh, with the campaign activism. Uh, so, and, and local councils have just have um, taken the campaign and made it their own in a whole bunch of really unique ways. We've had, um, you know, podcasts and webinars and panel discussions. We've had, um, you know, multi multilingual social media campaigns, um, artwork and public art competitions. We've done, they've done online storytelling and bystander training and virtual book clubs. And so there's just been a bunch of stuff, even with the restrictions of COVID that the 16 days of activism has campaign and the funding attached to that has allowed local governments to, to really step into that space, which has been um, awesome. Well, perhaps we'll have you on the program a little bit closer to when that kicks off and you can talk about what you've got planned for this year. But you're right. I mean, local government's been working in this space for, for many, many years. Um, you might be aware that there is a Victorian local government uh, women's charter, which is essentially um, a statement of intent to embed and ensure gender equality within councils and also their communities. Um, and, you know, that links in both at the elected representative level, the staff level, and also the community, as I mentioned. And I think we have about 73 of the councils um, as signatories to that charter, which is also a framework um, perhaps to progress some of the work that Res Respect Victoria is looking to achieve and might be worth um, considering in, in your review. Definitely. It sounds like there's lots more conversations to come, Catherine. Indeed. It sounds like an opportunity too to get all 79 involved in both of those examples that you were talking about, perhaps perhaps a target. Perhaps just one last question from me, uh, Emily. Uh, as you were talking, I was thinking about the alignment with, unless I've got this totally wrong, the, the new gender equality uh, provisions that local governments are required to have mm -hmm. in their workforce plan and uh, the, the action plans. Is there some correlation between what you're doing and the work of uh, Nikki Vincent's commission? There absolutely is. So what, what we know and what the research tells us is that gender inequality, which the commission is designed to address in part, gender inequality sets the foundations that enable violence against women to occur. So addressing gender inequality just by itself is not going to prevent violence against women. It would radically reduce it, but it's not going to prevent it. What we need to do is address the gender drivers of violence against women, but the work has got to sit across both the formal gender equality work that Nikki and her team and, and many, many others, you know, women's health services in, in all of the local government areas have been doing for many years. That gender inequality work or gender equality work actually is really, really critical, but we've also got to make sure that if we are actually going to drive down the rates of violence against women, that we're also tackling those gender drivers. So you, you're picking up on a really significant synergy, Chris, and it's one that's... Um, I think that's kind of quite difficult for people to 
um, understand sometimes the, the relationship between gender inequality and violence against women because it's not a, you know, A equals B proposition. It's a really complex social issue. But what all of the global evidence tells us that if we reduce gender inequality and we address the gender drivers of violence against women, we will see a sustained reduction in, in the prevalence of violence against women. And that's what we're all working towards. Emily, thank you so much. That's been really interesting to find out more about uh, Respect Victoria. Um, if people in local government want to know how they can connect more with your organisation and get involved, maybe those eight councils that aren't yet doing 16 Days of Activism, how do they go about that? Um, they can find our website at www.respectvictoria.vic.gov.au or they can flick us an email, which is contact at respectvictoria.vic.gov.au. Thank you. Uh, Catherine, thank you again for being part of the program. That's been a really enlightening discussion, I think. It has been, and I look forward to many more conversations with Emily and um, hearing about the, the work of Respect Victoria and how perhaps the VLGA can uh, um, collaborate on a number of the initiatives that you're looking at. Thank you, Emily, for coming in today. Thanks so much for having me. Terrific. And that just leaves me to thank you, the listener and viewer, for being part of another episode of VLGA Connect. Stay tuned. There's much more to come soon. Bye for now. Thank you.